I will say at the beginning, I was like, I get it, dude. People yeah. do suck. Like, I don't yeah. think we should turn them into pies. No. Or murder <laughs> them. Hey, you, over there. Yeah? Guess what? What? You want to talk spooky stuff. Okay. Hi, I'm Kay. And I'm Gabe. You're a ghoul. Sure am. Wow, same. What brings you here next to me? I'm kinda over man today. Yeah, people are trash. Just like a body piece. You know there's a lot to say about how medium is me. Like there's a more to every story. Exactly. It's fascinating. We could make a show. A show? And we'll let everybody know. Use our brains. Brains. No, not to eat. To educate. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess you could say we're, we're the ghouls next door. Hi, I'm Gabe. And I'm Kat. And we're the ghouls, the ghouls next, next door. door. <laughs> My London. In London. Like, every time they say it, it's really funny. It's uh, good. Welcome to our show. The yeah. Next Door, uh, where we talk about spooky stuff, uh, specifically horror musicals for this series. Um, yes. We, <laughs> you know, we are the horror analysis podcast that explores the real-life psychological historical reasonings behind our cinematic fears. And today, we're talking about Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street, not Flint Street. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're going to talk about that, which is a, a wild uh, film that I, I, I maybe I had seen and I didn't mm-hmm. know, but I had songs from it on my iPod. Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate for uh, young Gabe. Yeah, um, I had the Joanna song, and I had a few mm-hmm. others, and I don't recall ever actually watching it, though, so. Although I just, I watched, uh, <laughs> kind of look like Handsome Jack from uh, Borderlands. So it's like, oh, nice. Oh. <laughs> but you look like Johnny Depp. Uh, uh, I watched House of Wax, and I watched mm-hmm. it like a million times in middle school because I had the DVD and we didn't have cable. And I was like, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> it's like, oh, the whole town. <laughs> yeah, totally no, there's a lot of murder that took like, place. Wow, I forgot that the whole town was fake. Uh, totally, I was a nice pleasant surprise for like a horror movie (laughs) despite having seen it as many times as I did so it's quite possible that I have seen Sweeney Sweeney Todd and just like it didn't stick which sounds real um and sounds like something like I probably would have watched like any uh you know goth films gothic Uh, <laughs> angsty films and Tim Burton for sure. Like growing up, yeah. That was I mean, you found watched. out about Repo from a pirate that did not work at the flea market. Uh, flea market. So no. it seems pretty spot on that you would have seen this movie um, in your teenage years. It just yeah. seems like that is on brand. Who, knew, um, who, told, who told me this time? 
Like, I just found it myself. I wanted to be edgy. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, it's <laughs> romance when he's like, I'll steal you. I was like, that's what love is. Um, <laughs> problems. In, uh, that, in that version of society where like women were property, yeah, you had to steal them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you and have to pay like dowries and stuff. And 100% what this film is, which I think is funny because the original text isn't the same that much besides like mm-hmm. there's a guy who's killing people and turn them into pies with his friend uh <laughs> it's fwb and uh who knows but the original text is just like i'll, I'll get into it but this one is very much like is real hard for women out there <laughs> yeah like what this whole thing is it's um, like it ain't a good time at mm-hmm. all it's super classism uh i think that one of the reasons why I do enjoy it at all is because it's not an original, you know, Tim Burton. It's actually based on lots of things and adaptation of adaptation. And mm-hmm. so it, it's kind of great for that. <laughs> so yeah. there's that. Um, and I'm sure you listened to our episode last week with Roland talking about Nightmare Before Christmas. So you'll know our feelings on Tim Burton. So we're not going to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> just not. Uh, That's like a side topic that was covered in other things. So we're just going to focus on the fun cannibal murder f- yeah, serve we're it to your about friends. Cannibal murder and classism, and then the industrial revolution. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so why don't we dive in and get it done? Since we look so phenomenal. Absolutely, uh, we do. <laughs> yes, you look wonderful. <sighs> it's honestly very spot on. We did a good job this week. Yeah, um, I mean it's fun when it's like so dramatic. It's mm-hmm. easy to do these ridiculous art with our face because uh, it's hard to not like you just look dead honestly which is mm-hmm. a point. Um, especially when you get to see Kat a little bit more uh, and how dead she looks because uh, Sweet Chad's supposed to look dead yeah it's you know we're dead inside he's been through some stuff so yeah. um, so let me tell you about Sweeney Todd the film uh, musical which was the whole thing in and of itself, the fact that it's a film. And that's what it was uh, advertised as. Anyway, Sweeney Todd, the infinite, infamous story of Benjamin Barker, a.k.a. Sweeney Todd, who sets up a barber shop in London, which is the basis for a sinister partnership with his fellow tenant, Mrs. Lovett. It's directed by Tim Burton, written by John Logan, who did the screenplay, Hugh Wheeler, who did the musical, and Christopher Bond, who did the musical adaptation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what it is um so this film and the many other adaptations are based on a penny dreadful titled the string of pearls of romance or a domestic romance or the missing sailor or something like there's like 20 yeah. <laughs> for this uh but the one that's well known is a string of pearls uh sweeney todd the demon barber or fleet street is just one of many adaptations of this piece of work um specifically it was uh adapted from steven sondheim's musical of the same name which uh was one of tim burton's favorite musicals uh and he really appreciated that take on the story and so that's why he decided to adapt it for the screen uh for people who want to know what a penny dreadful is cat is also going to go into it but i'm going to dive a little bit as well in relation to like film as well uh but a penny dreadful is a pejorative term for this form of literature that was cheap entertaining serial literature that sold for a penny each 
Uh, despite this, their derogatory name, the books were quite popular due to their lurid, sensational subject matter. Uh, they generally told stories of murder and suspense. Um, they were thrillers <laughs> and really, like, absurd, too. Um, we briefly covered Penny Dreadfuls in our Mary Shelley episode, so you can check that out to get a little more detail on them and, you know, some of the famous stories that came from there. Um, they were honestly, like, secretly desired, <laughs> but in the public eye, they were scrutinized for their excessive violence and abuse, like, abusive imagery and just... Uh, usually towards women um, mm -hmm. or the uh, underprivileged. Um, similar to Video Nasties, uh, they quickly became cult favorites and have had a large impact on the horror genre just as <laughs> just from their nature of being like kind of pushing the envelope on a lot of things and just uh, uh, coming up against boundaries and just being like, whatever, we're going to do what we want. Um, the original text is violent and unnerving, and it plays into the public sphere at the time. Uh, though it's sensational, the themes expressed in the story evolve beyond gore and guts for fun, but instead peels away layers of the society to reveal the fears underneath. Uh, just like most Penny Dreadful's String of Pearls slash Sweeney Todd, uh, it featured murder and deceptions, but also featured those societal fears at the forefront. Um, some of those fears being, one, cannibalism. <laughs> so uh, the act of eating your own kind is pretty terrifying, uh, especially when it's unintentional. There's That's one of the threads in which zombies are terrifying. There's like loss of individuality, representation of, can of, of capitalism, all kinds of things. But it's also just on the the bare minimum is that you're going around, you're eating your neighbors <laughs> and your loved ones. So that's like horror in itself. Uh, and so specifically unintentional eating of humans can really devastate you. I think of like uh, a specific scene in the Hannibal TV show where that fact is revealed and it was like devastating <laughs> for the people who are just like, I just ate a people. Um, <laughs> it could really get yeah. to you. Uh, especially because it's, again, it's not intentional. Like you're not going out looking to do this. Um, it's like a, you know, a breach of trust and uh it's disgusting like i can't imagine i don't eat meat so i wouldn't <laughs> i'm not gonna accidentally eat any people but i imagine it'd be bad um but this theme really reminded me of this short pamphlet that i read in school some time ago i can't even tell you when i think it was elementary school called a modest proposal for preventing the children of poor people from being a burden to their parents or country and for making them beneficial to the public also known as A Modest Proposal by Jonathan Swift, uh, which is incredibly satirical and suggests that the way to fix the issues of the poor is to simply have them sell off their children as food for the rich. Problem nice. solved. So many problems solved yeah. just with that. Uh, it, <laughs> the, um, the proposal features many ways in which a child can be prepared. Uh, an excerpt says, A young, healthy child, well-nursed, is, at a year old, a most delicious, nourishing, and wholesome food, whether stewed, roasted, baked, or boiled, and I make no doubt it will equally serve in a fracasse or a ragout. Uh, and thanks to the ever-helpful Wikipedia, you can pry this resource from my cold dead hands, uh, there is some more information on the piece I found there because it's been a very long time. 
uh, since I read it. <laughs> and also, I was, like, a child, like, a whole child. So, <laughs> though it, it stuck with me just throughout history of my history with, like, because it was so preposterous. And I remember it being uh, a critique, like, that this was, like, one of the first instances of satire for me <laughs> as, like, mm-hmm. a young person to use that as a tool to, like, be like, look at how terrible the world is. Um, yeah. And here's, like, our preposterous thing. Uh a lot of the themes did seem to like just over my head because I didn't really get it. I was mm-hmm. too young. So thank you, Wikipedia. Um, they say a modest proposal also targets the calculating way people perceive the poor in designing their projects. Um, these are projects that were like thrown together as uh, potential s- sources of um, progression to like help with with. Poor people, and it, they were all just like completely ignorant of um, what the reality was, mm-hmm. <laughs> what people were going through. It's essentially like a let them eat cake situation, yeah. where it's like you don't understand, like, <laughs> like Marie. <laughs> that's yeah, not, like that's not the you're solution. Completely missing the point here because you're just so disconnected. So, uh, uh, Swift is making this whole conversation about how ill-advised these projects were and how um, honestly insulting some of them were just from lack of information. And so uh, Wikipedia goes on to say the pamphlet targets reformers who regard people as commodities. Uh, In the piece, Swift adopts the technique of a political arithmetician to show the utter ridiculousness of trying to prove any proposal with dispassionate statistics. So just like if you just essentially make people into numbers or just like a like, there's no names. They're not people mm-hmm. anymore. They're just a, a thing that we got to solve. Uh, you lose all the ability to actually solve <laughs> that mm-hmm. problem. So also thanks to Sparknotes, uh, which saved me in school and life, I found <laughs> kind of like a Swift's proposal for dummies uh, where it says children of the poor could be sold into a meat market at the age of one, he argues, thus combating overpopulation and unemployment, sparing families the expense of childbearing while providing them with a little extra income, improving the culinary experience of the wealthy and contributing to the overall economic well-being of the nation. Uh, in a modest proposal, Swift vents his mounting aggravation at the ineptitude of Ireland's politicians, the hypocrisy of the wealthy, the tyranny of the English, and the squalor and degradation in which he sees so many English, uh, so many Irish people living. Sorry. Uh, Which sounded very similar to me (laughs) Mm because I was like, there's a reason why I'm doing this. was like in 1750, so way before um, this Penny Dreadful came out, but it's clear that those same issues are are there and that Mm -hmm. people are suffering and the, the elite class are ignorant to that suffering. And so they're there's this, like, this is how we fix it. So I just thought it was, like, kind of funny that both of their answers, even though, like, are, are obviously wrong, and one being very satirical, the other one just being, like, kind of funny, uh, was to eat people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it helps with overpopulation. Yeah, there's <laughs> positives, you know. The, the advancements of our culinary arts, like, all the... <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, so... You know, to me, it was like, how else can we grab the attention of our fellowing, fellow suffering neighbors than through historically, uh, hysterically absurd and sensational gore? Mm-hmm. That's like our whole 
uh, show. <laughs> it's yeah. like we use gore and sensationalism uh, as a tool to teach people about, you know, a cultural uh, pains. And that's exactly what uh, Amada's proposal was doing, as well as, honestly, Sweeney Todd. Uh, there's also the theme of industrialization and classism, which kind of go hand in hand because they only help each other. Um, the Penny Dreadful was published in 1840s Britain in the midst of the Industrial Revolution for them. The character Sweeney Todd owns a barbershop in the middle of one of the busiest industrial centers of the growing city of London. And with the booming industry, crime rates also rose as the oppressive nature of accelerated industry caused much strain on the lower income citizens, which Kat has talked at length about mm-hmm. on our show in many different episodes. Um, Mrs. Lovett has this concern for her pie shop, which suffers from lack of good quality meat. Um, fresh meat is expensive and rare, uh, resulting in her trying to kill cats, which she assumes her, her competitor is already doing. Um, <laughs> and she feeds them to her customers, and even that doesn't help. Uh, Benjamin Barker, the his his original personality, uh, is wrongfully cr- accused and imprisoned after the well-to-do and overly powerful judge abuses his power. Yeah. So it's like there's a lot. Of, it's hard to not be like this is what that's about. Like specifically, uh, Sweeney Todd, uh, because the Penny Dreadful is a little different. Um, so in String of Pearls. There's a Colonel Jeffrey who, along with Joanna of the Yellow Hair, uh, is investigating the di- disappearance of a sailor named Lieutenant Thornhill. Uh, Thornhill was supposed to gift Joanna a string of pearls given by her lover Mark, who is suspected to be at lost at sea. Uh, Joanna goes undercover dressed as a boy. We see this in the film a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, eventually, the truth comes to light that Todd's been killing folks and Mrs. Love has been cooking them into pies. Uh, <laughs> and it turns out that Mark, the missing husband or p- the suitor, uh, uh, has been imprisoned in the bake shop and forced to cook the people. And when the truth is revealed, he proclaims, Ladies and gentlemen, I fear that what I'm going to say will spoil your appetites. But the truth is beautiful at all times. And I have to state that Mrs. Lovett's pies are made of human flesh. This is the first so in the greenest people. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, again, another example of like, why don't we just eat people? It have so much problems. Uh, and it's, uh, I would say that's a pretty different premise from what we're given in Sondheim's interpretation of this film uh, and this film. Uh, but like there's, you know, there's still the basics <laughs> in uh-huh. there. I think it's just gone a step forward into really digging into those themes Especially since Penny Dreadfuls were rather short um, and were made to be more sensational than educational. So (laughs) it was like we took the meaty bits, the human meaty bits, and we made them into a film. Uh, So now let's jump into the film specifically. All (laughs) that whole time, just not even talking about the film. Uh, It wasn't marketed as a musical which is a very odd decision, considering that, is, yeah. that the play, and I th- believe the, the film as well, is 80% sung. <laughs> like, like not as much as Repo, which was like yeah. 5% spoken word. This one at least has like 20% spoken word. But it was a lot of like, why speak when we can sing? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a really weird omission to not like Like tell anyone it. that that's happening. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of like had... Some people walked out and some people were really disappointed. It also was kind of sad because there's a lot of people who love musicals. And at the time, like, Chicago was doing really well. It's like, why not? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why not do that? Um, 
we there's a lot of reasoning behind it. I don't think it's really good, like a good reason. So I'm not even gonna do it. But it wasn't. <laughs> anyway, Sweeney Todd, the film follow and what it was adapted from follows the story of Benjamin Barker, who turns into Sweeney Todd, which is a far more terrifying name. That <laughs> Sweeney. Um, yep. So scary. <laughs> The Todd, Mr. Todd. It's like Barker is kind of scarier. Um, yeah. Although Ben Barker kind of sounds that's just that's just a superhero's name. Yeah. Like Peter Parker. Yeah, ben that's Parker. true. Um. Anyway, he's seeking revenge for his wrongful conviction, uh, the alleged death of his wife, and abduction of his daughter with the yellow hair, Joanna, and it's called Blonde Todd. <laughs> Anthony and Dot. It's blonde. That's what it's called. Uh, after returning to the gloomy and suffocating smog-ridden city of London, uh, this dystopian, uh, in the midst of industrial revolution city, it looks like a potential for new life, but also like a desolate underworld of hatred and shame. Depends on who's looking. Yeah. <laughs> Depends who's looking at it. Um, and it does a really great, like, it, when you get this first opening of, like, like they're at sea, and the waves are crashing, and it's just dark. And, like, Anthony's like, it's London, and he's, like, all hopeful, and it's, like, doom and gloom. And then you just, like, pan over <laughs> to Sweeney Todd, and he just looks like a corpse reanimated. And he says, at the top of the holes sit a privileged few, making mock of the vermin in the lower zoo, turning beauty to filth and greed. I, too, have sailed the world and seen its wonders, for the cruelty of men is as wondrous as Peru, but there's no place like London. Um, he's like, great bet, but... Uh, <laughs> he's just, like, totally... He's, like, just straight up dissing London. Like, he's just roasting it, and then, like, as he's going there. And poor Anthony's like, I thought it would be nice. <laughs> yeah. The world hasn't ruined me yet, so I'm still hopeful. And <laughs> Sweeney's like, let me teach you real quick. Yeah. Um, so Todd returns to his old home, uh, which was once uh, warm and full of love with his wife and infant daughter, and now is a decrepit building. Uh, and he meets uh, Mrs. Levitt, who does indeed love it. She loves him <laughs> a lot. Uh, she later becomes his partner in crime, helping him bake people into pies, as it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is has one of the, my favorite songs, uh, <laughs> where she's like, Seems an awful waste. Such a nice plump frame. What's his name has had has. Uh, nor it can't be traced. Business needs a lift. Debts to be erased. I think of it as thrift, as a gift. If you get my drift. Seems an awful waste. I mean, with. price of meat what it is when you get it if you get it and he's like ah it's like good you got it (laughs) and then they're just talking about uh, the different ways like all the different tastes of people outside the window like try the priest that's the name of that song Mm -hmm. um do you have poet (laughs) so good so good um i thought that was really funny for him to just be like oh right yeah cannibalism you get it um 
Meanwhile, the hopeful Anthony, who looked forward to the beauty of London, so disappointing, has fallen in love with a yellow-haired girl who's entrapped in the judge's house. And we've just learned that Turpin, the judge, stole Joanna as an infant, and soon it is explained that he wants to marry her. Big yep. ew. Big ew. Um, and he's yeah. like, the whole scene is just like, and when I asked her, surprisingly, she said no. Yeah, like she wasn't like disgusted. thrilled about marrying this whole this man. man. That's and like she's like her 15. Dad. Yeah, right? Like what? Like he raised her from an infant. It's super bizarre. Like, I guess it's so gross. It's gross more than it's bizarre. Um, Like, why are you like this? Yeah. Like, Snape, why? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, So Anthony decides to steal Joanna, and I would have went with rescue, but this is a dreadful, and it was called a romance at the time, so perhaps the lyrics, though unsettling, can also be seen as sweet. Uh, this is the one that I had on my iPod that I remember and it also comes through uh, one of the things about this musical that's so awesome is like one it, there's a lot that went into it actually a very large like musical um, like like the I can totally blanking on what they're called no like the performers they had a lot of them they had big bands whatever it would be called orchestra and they had like Orchestra. They had, like, six violinists, and it was just, like, intense. Like, and because the whole, f- the film is mostly singing, uh, there's a lot of, like, the blends of, like, songs being sung along each other and reprises all throughout of, like, the same song, similar to what we saw in Phantom of the Opera. Like, it's pretty um, standard for, for mm-hmm. being authentic in that way. And did it in a way that was not, it didn't feel forced or wrong. <laughs> like, it felt really well. So, Joanne, this one comes through, there's, like, a song where, like, Sweeney Todd is singing something sad and he's singing about Joanna still. And he sings, I'll steal you, Joanna. I'll steal you. Do they think that wolves can hide you? (laughs) Even now I'm at your window. (laughs) I'm in the dark beside you. Like, dude. uh, Buried sweetly in your yellow hair. And he makes it sound like it's really nice. And it's not. Because that's creepy. And it made me think of the song by um uh clay aiken (laughs) which is uh, you know a time he had a he had a song which is essentially about him like watching a woman from afar and okay you know like a fly on the wall like he could see her all the time oh yeah i do remember Mm -hmm. that song there was also another one that I can't remember, but there was like some song where it was like that, and my mom really liked it, and she was like, "Get me the CD." I was like, "Do you know what this song is saying?" Yeah, <laughs> this song is about stalking a woman. Like, let's think about this, mom. Let's let's put on our media analysis earphones and <laughs> think about the lyrics of this song. And she was like, "No, I just want this CD. Thank you." Um, which is just my life. Anyway, yep. Then Snape. I mean, Judge Turpin, <laughs> there he goes, pining after a woman who isn't his and being really problematic about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, she belongs to me just because, like, sir. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sounds about white. Anyway, <laughs> uh, he finds out about it and rushes Joanna off to a mental institution that's really just a storage facility for women who don't behave, mm-hmm. as was uh, appropriate of the time. Yep. Uh, like, oh, you're being ornery, you're not. Just, <laughs> just doing what society says you should, like marrying this old man. So we gotta send you away and use your beautiful yellow hair that everyone wants to bury into as a wig for judges. Yeah. Anyway, 
All that seems minimal when we confront the horrors of the fact that Mr. Todd, this whole time, is butchering instead of barbering. Yeah. <laughs> just do, like, and it's his fellow poor folk, mostly. Like, that was to, I was like, one, is he ever not killing people? And there was, like, in, there's, like, a montage where there's, like, one person who doesn't kill because his wife and kid were there. But I was like, he can't be killing everybody. Yeah, otherwise, like, how people would make know. business. Yeah. Yeah. He, and I was like... Part of me is like, is he being strategic about it so that like he's killing the right people? But I don't think that's the case. Um, yeah, he's just killing for killing's sake because he's bad. He's a bad guy. Um, Mrs. Lovett is feeding them right back into society by way of meat pie. Mm-hmm. Just helping, just helping society in the ways that it, they do. It's certainly horrific, and the film and musical has made such an impact on the musical world that it's been a boom for horror musicals. Like <laughs> the the. It was like, oh, this is a really great musical and so great that Tim Burton wants to make a film out of it. Like, that's crazy. And it just started, it it showed that, like, uh, horror specifically is a great, like, mix for for musicals specifically. Mm -hmm. Which is, like, similar to what our guest Angelina was saying, where it's, both of them are representing this, like, intense and, like, in like heightens version of emotions like both of them are playing on those so like with musicals like you're singing your heart out (laughs) with horror you're screaming your heart out so it's a really natural blend especially because both of them often are seeking to comment and critique the world around them as well Mm -hmm. uh, using entertainment to do that so totally makes sense that this is a great blend but it took something like this to do that there's like light all up. <laughs> I'm gonna go over here now. So because of that, there are like musical stage productions booming. So there's anything from Evil Dead, the musical. That's real. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it. Evil Dead musical to Beetlejuice. Yeah, uh, are being made into musicals, and honestly, I love that. I think that's so cool. Um, this film is very grungy and dirty, full of dread and phenomenal music like it is quite a like it's not obviously k-12 because that was made to be just music right Mm -hmm. um but it is really listenable even still and like i said a lot of production value went into just creating the songs and the production of it like it's like a (laughs) full-on production like music like it's just Mm -hmm. like um so it's great to uh enjoy just that um but there are some humorous parts amidst the dread and forlorn scenes like when mrs lovett has her dream sequence for the future and it featured her being really happy in all these different like scenarios and (laughs) sweeney todd's just like doom and gloom the entire time like it doesn't ever change his face he's just like yeah okay Whatever, lady. Uh, make them into pies. I very clearly don't love you. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. But overall, it's a decently good time. Uh, though I do imagine that the play musical is even more phenomenal. And I would love to see it because I think it would be really fun. And if anything, this series has just made me feel like I really, really want to see more (laughs) like just see more musicals like horror musicals specifically um like we're in new york for comic-con and i saw a a billboard ridiculous uh of little shop of horrors yeah uh and i was like i want to see that that's that's fun so i think this would probably be really fun to watch like in like a person and hear the music there and the 
the drama and to see like the contraption of the chair mm-hmm. and how they get to the bottom and stuff. Like I think that. Yeah, would I've be heard really it's cool. pretty good. Like it's pretty cool. Um, I've never seen it myself. Like in terms of like on Broadway or anything or like outside of. I think I saw the music movie version in school because I was in shows and they were like, you need to watch musicals that are movie now. Um, <laughs> any movie that exists that's also a musical, you get to like watch that and that's fun. Um, yeah, this one was really fun. Like it was ridiculous. I think it definitely shows society. I totally agree with you on what you're saying, Gabe. Like, and it's like, yeah, no, the stuff's bad. I will say at the beginning, I was like, I get it, dude. People yeah. do suck. Like, I don't yeah. think we should turn them into pies. No. Or murder them. <laughs> and not like, and it's not even the right people to be doing that too. Like, mm-hmm. I also, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because he had the whole song where he was like, though my with my favorite lyrics in it. But when he was like going into it, he's like, everyone deserves to die. I deserve to die. That would be sweet release. Um, Mm -hmm. we all want that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. not everyone, like there's a little, the people who don't know who, and I think even the ones who do know who like still find hope or like, I don't want to like die though. Death is not the answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like stripped of power. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Uh, and maybe like, you know, that we need a different way to handle that. But yeah, not making them into pies. Like I understand, but it's definitely like that. Like, this is an extreme answer mm-hmm. to many problems, but very obviously not the answer. And it sucks because it's, like, the answers that would be better serving and would be not as evil are just inaccessible <laughs> for yeah. these people. Like, they can't do that. They can't overturn like this judge. Like, that judge has power over them. They can't get access yeah. to me in a better way. Like, this is really the only yeah, answer. You're taking it out on so the wrong it. people. Uh, yeah. 100%. And that judge, like, honestly, he sentenced that whole child. I don't even know what he's like. I don't even know what he did. He just, you know, he deserves it. It's like, ultimately, aren't they kind of doing the same thing? Just like with different. Yeah. Energy. I want something. So I because like, I mean, honestly, Sweeney Todd is acting as judge, jury, executioner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's like dubbing everyone as, you know, uh, worthy of death. And then the judge was also doing that, except it wasn't so blanket. Right. It was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because he didn't sentence that entire child. for, And he's like, I hope he did it. Or actually, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, he was literally yeah. like, eh, it's a Monday. <laughs> that part so. to be like, this guy's evil. He deserves it. Yeah. And I guess it's, it's like kind of looking at any radical height, like one end thing. It's like you want you think you're doing a good thing. Sometimes it's not actually a good thing. Sometimes it's actually damaging and it's like i get that like it seemed like it was like i hate rich people i want them to die like and then he was like okay we're gonna murder everybody uh because you know might as well everyone's trash and it's and then the judge doing the same thing so yeah and mrs lovett's like maybe we should be strategical like she was like kind of a voice of reason even though she was like let's turn people into pies but she was very much just like but certain people like let's be you Mm -hmm. know like we're gonna do the priest because he's probably sketchy you know uh (laughs) like we're not gonna do this person because they're hard up as well and don't kill my little child that i've adopted yeah i feel like team murder sets you up for that though because it's like if you're gonna find someone who's like down for murder they may be Mm -hmm. a little more down than you uh and that's a risk that's Mm -hmm. a risk there's Um, been many historical couples that murder 
There's been yeah. many of them. They're real. They're out there. Yeah, I mean, I believe it, but I just feel like at least a tiny bit of it is like, one is like, that's not a bad idea, yeah. And then yeah. they realize a line has been crossed, but then they don't know how to, like, broach that subject because they're very aware that the murder is taking place. Um, so they could also be murdered. So it's like, ah, geez. Yeah, right? Like, I thought this was going to be a fun easy. time. It's not... Who saw that coming? <laughs> Literally everyone. Literally everyone. She's Maybe like, the guy yeah, I was murdered with. Killed me. Yeah, she ain't that great. Wasn't all, like, she wasn't completely uh, in control of her faculties. So yeah. You know, she was not thinking logically. Mm-hmm. And also, like, thinking about the time period, it's not necessarily a good time for women in that, yeah. like, they didn't exactly. And she's a widow. She's yeah. A widow. She's a guy so, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a rock and a hard place at that point. Um, but uh, Gabe got into it, honestly, about, like, what Penny Dreadfuls are and what kind of like the story of Sweeney Todd was. Um, some of my section is dedicated to that, but I'm kind of going to scrap that and kind of just get into some fun facts that I found in regards to this. Um, so as Gabe said, you know, this is in the 19th century. Uh, they did a great job playing on people's fears. It was based on the string of pearls, a domestic romance created by Thomas Prest. Um, and I was trying to find out if, like, there was, like, a real Sweeney Todd. Like, did that guy exist? Like, did the Benjamin Barker dude exist? Um, is it based on anything real? And an interesting fun fact that I'm not sure is true or not, but it was on the internet, so here we are. Um, <laughs> you can't lie on the internet. Yeah, yeah. I quoted Wikipedia earlier. You're allowed. Yeah, so I found something on HistoryThings.com that was fun. It was fun. Uh, it was written by someone named Hannah. They did not list their last name. I don't know if that bodes well. Um, but uh, it, it claims that there was a real barber in France that went into business uh, with a local baker, similar to this situation, to boost their business. And this article is titled, Meet the 14th Century Barber Who Inspired Sweeney Todd. Um, specifically in the 14th century Paris, France, a baker who made meat pies thought that like brought people in from like all over France, like all over Paris. And they were like, these meat pies are a one 10 out of 10 would come here again. We don't care if they're humans. Uh, it's kind of like, honestly, the vibe. Uh, <laughs> and so it was a very interesting situation because I guess this was happening enough that like people kind of suspected that the barber was sus. Um, mm. But they didn't, like, specifically seek to investigate them, which I found very interesting. It sounded as if there was a stray dog who was super interested in their bakery um, and the barbershop. And it was, like, trying to get in there. And it was apparently this man who now ran the barbershop had, like, run away and left his dog behind. And this dog found him at this barbershop and the police were like, that's weird. That dog really wants to get in there. And they were investigating, um, trying to find the owner and instead found the bones and remains of human humans mm. underneath of the barber and baker shops. And that found out that they had been in business together where similar to the film, uh, Sweeney was murdering Baker was like, heck yeah. Um, and they essentially made meat pies out of this because of the literal fact for three years, three, three years, three Jesus. years, so many years of human being <laughs> yeah. served on the streets of Paris. Um, and yeah, and apparently like it was as corrupt enough that like 
they when they found out about this, there was enough people doing it, like a whole cannibalism town, essentially. They were kind of like in on it. They were like, it's go for business. Uh, don't question it. Literally eat these people. It's fine. Because um, they had essentially been murdering tourists, people who were not from France, because um, they considered them easy targets. But essentially burned down multiple other buildings as well, because it, it had been like ingrained in the local population that like that was a thing that they were working together and benefiting from. Yeah. Um the two men were burned at the stakes for their crimes and because of the other people, their, like, businesses were burned as well. Uh, you can apparently visit the site at the in a Parisian police department motorcycle garage. Interesting. Um, <laughs> it is claimed, however, that uh, this could be possible. Like, this happened in the 14th century, which was before uh, The Penny Dreadful was written. But oftentimes the people writing Penny Dreadfuls would like kind of look to local news and like read local papers to kind of get inspired for the stories that they were telling. Um, and it's interesting because this story was very effective back then, but it was also very effective like today. Like I think part of it is because of the big names, but also because as Gabe was saying, there's like this intersection with horror and musicals uh, and like horror and plays that like lended itself very well. Um, and honestly, people don't give enough credit to like horror books, like mm -hmm. as a media. So the penny dreadfuls were so popular because one, they were a penny. They were available to like the working class population. There was like a growing increase in like literacy for the working class. Uh, so they needed to start to create and because of the printing press, we're like able to create uh, more reading materials and the quality of those reading materials didn't really matter so much. They're kind of just like uh, stories for people to enjoy, but they often featured really scary things. Um, and for comparison, the cost of a penny dreadful was one twelfth apparently of that of a Charles Dickens novel. Um, so it was like a more accessible horror story time for like people who did not have a lot of extra expenditures and wealth. Um, mm -hmm. It's like an escape, even though spooky mm -hmm. escape. Yeah. And it's, uh, they were filled with like really scandalous stories, like spooky stuff uh, of things often including murder, kidnapping, poison, theft, other things that were especially gruesome. And in an article from the BBC culture titled the shocking tale of the penny dreadful, it classified them as our modern day equivalent to like shoot 'em up video games, uh, mm. and video nasties as Gabe mentioned. Uh, but you know, for like 1800s, um, basically as this kind of developed the shift in which they were like representing shifted as well. So you had like at the onset, it was more focused on the perpetrators of the murders um, what made someone capable of that, that kind of thing. Uh, and then in the 19 or 1860s, apologies, uh, the perspectives shifted more from the pursuers, more to the pursuers instead of the murderers. So the British library outlined penny dreadfuls on their page, noting a shift in 19 or Jesus Christ. I can't words today either. 1865, where a 70 part penny dreadful featured the boy detective, the crimes of London and it had a hero named Ernest Keene who runs away from home and works with a, as a police investigator. So it was kind of shifting. Mm -hmm. Interesting enough, it seems like that was kind of the shift when 
there was like this cultural building around justice and like heroes and uh, ultimately like kind of glorifying law enforcement um, instead of like how we see in uh, Sweeney Todd, where it was kind of like calling out the flaws within law enforcement, within judges, mm-hmm. within like uh, the judgment in which the rich deep like put down on to lower society. Um and it's honestly very interesting because I was saying, like, in the beginning, I really resonated with uh, Sweeney Todd's character because one of my favorite lines is, that is, there's a hole in the world, like a great black pit, and it's filled with people who are filled with poop, um, and <laughs> the vermin of the world inhabit it. And then he goes on, and he's like, they all deserve to die. We all deserve to die. We're all parasites. We all just, like, kind of hurt the world. And for those, there are two types of people, the people who are... Uh, like have the foot in the face, like pushing down another person um, and the person who is on the receiving end of that foot. Um, mm-hmm. And like essentially there's we all kind of want to die because life is hard and horrible and there's nothing really overtly positive going on with poverty and everything that's happening. And the as you were talking about, Gabe, like the price of meat, the price of existence, um, this kind of growing yeah. need for money. Um, as a means of survival in this very like divided nature of rich people, poor people. Um, so it was interesting cause I really did resonate at first. Cause I, you know, I'm people are trash. Like that's 100%. Mm-hmm. That's the thesis of our show ultimately. Yeah. Um, and is, although yeah. we never want murder to be the result of the people are trash time, um, or like overt violence, but it's ultimately like, I, I was like vibing at first. And then I was like, Oh no, this is this is this is different. <laughs> well, cuz it wasn't revolutionary. Like mm-hmm. he wasn't trying to like change what it was. Like he yeah. didn't want to change the system and w- solve the problems. He just wanted to exact revenge and to kind of satisfy his own need for vengeance. And so it was a very selfish desire. Yeah. So it kind of loses the the motive there when it's less about like we need to rise up as people and like fight against yeah. them. It's just like no, there's two types of people, and I want to be the boot. Yeah, ultimately, one hundred percent. And I think that's like a pretty clear like reflection, honestly, <laughs> on like white people. Uh, yeah. yeah. Ultimately, like they want they want to benefit from the time and they're willing to murder and do bad things to receive that and then ultimately like when it's time to fix the problem they're like that sounds hard um i'd rather like just continue to benefit so also murder you know if i have to mm-hmm. what, what yeah well cost? it's like if we we change the system then i can't benefit from it when i eventually mm-hmm. get there which is like you know the american dream and all the problems with that so i yeah and i think that's what it was. Was he was wronged for no fault of his own, and he, like and again, like I said before, it's not like he or Mrs. Lovett had any ability to change. Yeah, the, the world that it was like the structure, like that really was honestly the only answer. Like it was either he just get over it and live in filth, and they just kind of do that until they die, or he does something that kind of makes him feel better for a minute, and he has to keep doing that. And keep burning those bodies and feeding them to other people. Yeah. And I think, like, it's interesting because I feel like there has to be some sort like there had to be some people who were like, this is messed up. We need to join together and murder some stuff. Uh, But we don't really get to talk. We don't get to hear about that 
Um, yeah, well, there was, like, much. unions. Like, this, the birth mm-hmm. of unions and the ability to, like, protect workers and all of that was, like, popping up during that time. But it's, like, that's not what this story is. <laughs> the yeah, story yeah, is, like, yeah, the guy not. who was, you know, in prisons in the 1840s, like, is, like, probably was sent to, like, um, like Mike was saying, like, probably Australia, because that was where they were just dumping people at mm-hmm. one point. Um, and he was just gone for forever, supposedly, like... They thought he would be gone forever. Mm-hmm. He came back changed, and that's why his character looks dead. Yeah. Honestly, he is. He's yeah, he, like, himself. came back from the dead and is, like, out here just trying to feel something again, I guess. I don't know. And, I don't even know if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that maybe that was the goal. And I know it's just, like, really interesting, I think. Like, just the whole story, I think it definitely is still relevant today in the fact that we are within the society that we are. Um, we actively are having, like, situations where, like, workers' rights are kind of coming into play um, Mm -hmm. and the lack of them, rather. Um, And it was interesting because I was going through and I was really trying to find instances of restaurants. (laughs) And I don't know, like, that's probably not where my focus should have been. But I was interested. I was like, there seems to be enough of a fear for this, um, specifically, like, oriented around, like, the trusting an institution that you pay money for to not wrong you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I think like the representation of this film does like kind of showcase that in that, like this is instances where if you're going to a barber, this is like a time before electric razors, you couldn't get like a clean shave unless you had someone with a knife literally to your throat. And there's a vulnerability Mm -hmm. there. You have to trust that person not to decapitate you right there. Um, So there's like that anxiety that kind of went behind it. But then there's also like this uh, instance of people are scared that the quality of the food that they're paying for, like in this thinking of this time when like good food was not as readily available. Um, And they started to try to, like, find, like, restaurants were starting to become a thing. You had meat pies, ultimately, at these restaurants. So they're trying to, like, trust somebody with, like, providing them with sustenance. Um, And I kind of figured there had to be more instances of restaurants serving human meat without people knowing about it or without consent. And there really weren't. Like they were like, yeah, it's a relief. Um, It might just not be on my Google. I don't know. I also think it's probably going to be like, uh, cat, what have you been Googling? That's weird. Yeah. (laughs) Don't do that. Um, But yeah, it was like, I really couldn't find anything. And that's definitely good. There were like one or two, which is too many uh, ultimately. But like, it was also like not in the places I would expect it to be. Because I don't know, it's like it would expect, I would be like, I would not be shocked if it happened here. Um, wouldn't. Well, it's also like thinking of when when food is so hard to come by and we have to like make do what's there, like with them feeding the cats. It makes me think of like Snowpiercer, mm-hmm. where like the black pods or whatever they were eating were bugs. 100%. And it's like so disgusting to think like, oh, that's what it is. And it's because like... How else are we gonna feed you? Or like soiling greens? Like we gotta, mm-hmm. we gotta do something. We're really desperate for food, and we're you don't have the resources, so we give them whatever. Um, and that's like you know another conversation of like the food deserts of cities, and like mm-hmm. how we don't have fresh food and gardens and the that, the produce that could be uh, 
affordable and easily accessible and so we resort to food that's bad for us and it's not other people or bugs but it's still not good (laughs) and so it's just like it's a natural fear to question what is given to you when you don't have a choice yeah and that's ultimately i guess like why the seizing the means of production which is like uh written about in a lot of the trying to break away from capitalism texts uh And that, like, you know, if we knew how to garden, if we knew how to take care of ourselves, like, that would give us a lot of power back. And that's what, uh, honestly, like, we see a lot of, like, younger people doing nowadays is, like, realizing that the powers that be are not going to take care of us. That was never their goal. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And trying to find sustainable living options that uh, can be trusted. Uh, Yeah. There's some really good co-ops and organizations from people of color, uh, black indigenous as well, who are working to um, change that and put that put that back into the hands of the people to be able to control it. and like addressing that problem specifically, mm-hmm. um, which we can have as part of our show notes. Yeah, for <laughs> so ways make sure to you help. check that out for ways to help. Um, you can check out our blog for for those sources as well. Um, make sure that you like and subscribe, and that you watch our newest film. Jolly Butcher, uh, which came out uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hopefully you enjoy it. Let us know what you think. And you can always email us at thegoolsnextdoor at gmail.com. With any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, if you think things are cool, you can also comment on our YouTube channel. We love that. We talk back. Um, it can get pretty entertaining sometimes. Uh, but, yeah, the, I think this is a really fun series. I think we have one more episode mm-hmm. <laughs> waiting to hear back from our special guest. Um, but then we're going to start a new series uh, soon. Uh, but So that retires horror musicals for now. Yeah. Um, but I would love like a future in which we actually go to horror musicals instead of like watching films about them mm-hmm. and then have an episode about them. Yeah, like have a new <laughs> one like, that's this, like, this yeah. is actually like, horror music. Like we went to the stage. place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that we pay would be the cool. sixty dollars. Obviously, when it's future <laughs> and it's safe and money is easier to have. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and you know we're you know we're not at the point where we'd maybe eat people. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so thank you so much for listening or watching, and please do not eat babies. Yeah, or full-grown humans or any in between, or the old ones. Uh, yeah, I know it's like reuse, recycle, whatever, but not people. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> don't result to cannibalism. Cannibalism. Yeah. Um, think critically. Cannibalism. Um, if mm-hmm. I, you know, going to stuff yeah. with your media analysis glasses on. Um, media analysis uh, headphones when you listen to songs that say stuff like "Walls can't hide you." <laughs> And I'm at your window. And yeah. don't be like, that's romance. Okay, Edward Cullen, I'm looking at you. I was sleeping. Don't come in here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is not so, a space welcome to you, God. <laughs> yeah, you gotta ask permission, dog. Yeah. Um, okay, well, <laughs> don't get married. Don't eat your kids. Or serve them up on platters of meat pies. Silver platters. Yeah, this yeah. is a really they'll eat your kids episode. Yeah. Yeah. Huh, look at that. They'll eat you, circle. your kids, whatever. <laughs> yeah, someone's getting eaten. So, or your kids eat. will eat you because they don't know you're in the pie. Yeah. Um, 
like Donner Party. They had to label them. Oh, God. So you wouldn't eat your own dad. Yeah, that was the time. Anyway. Okay. With that being said, <laughs> bye. <Yeah>. Bye. <laughs>